Well, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Oh, not so happy New Year. Wow, that was, that was sad. Happy New Year. <laughs> good to see you guys all joining us here today. Thank you for joining us online. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and also dog ear or bookmark Luke chapter 8 as we dive in today. Um, well, with, with the New Year, I hope you guys all had a good New Year. I know that one thing that I still love, I talk about it 4th of July, is coming from California, fireworks are a contraband. But 4th of July and New Year's here, people like to blow things up. And it was a whole lot of fun staying up till midnight and seeing people celebrating and, and we were eating food with friends and playing games. And, and I, I, I love New Year's. And a lot of people use this time to, to hit the reset button in a lot of ways in life. And um, often, you know, what comes with New Year's would be New Year's resolutions. So show of hands, how many people on New Year's, whether you made it then or had it, you, you started like, I am starting, this is what I'm going to do this year. You made a New Year's resolution in some way, shape, or form. All right, bunch of you. How many of you are still going strong on your New Year's resolution? We're only seven days in. A lot of, a lot of hands still up. All right, now the honesty ones. How many people already lost it? Said, I, I tried it, and I, yep, right off. <laughs> it happens, though, right? We set New Year's, we set goals, and then sometimes we stay strong. Sometimes one hour in, we're like, it's been an hour into the New Year, and it's done. Like, I already messed it up. But, um, <clears throat> but I, I really do love New Year's, and I, I love setting goals, I, I like to sit down and think, what do I want to accomplish this year? What do I want to accomplish in this next season of life? And um, there, there's, a, there's a famous quote that says, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it 100% of the time. If you aim at nothing, you hit it 100% of the time. So, so I like to set a goal and work hard for it. Even if I don't achieve it 100%, I like to have something that I'm aiming for, something that I'm like, all right, set my, set my sights here, and I'm going to do what I can to get there. And even if I don't accomplish it 100%, I know that if I gave it my all, I'm okay with it. If I went for it with everything I have, I'm all right, because I, I know that I, a lot of it often is for me, and I want to see something in my heart change, in my life change. And, and so I'm, I'm a goal setter. And so today during service, I'd love for you guys all to do something. As service is going on and as, as we're talking about you know, redeeming our time, I would love for however you take notes today, whether it's uh, on, on your Bible app, I'm assuming that's what you guys are doing up here in the front, but whether you're on your Bible app or something, um, if you're taking notes and you think of a goal, write it down. If something sparks in you today saying, you know what, that, that was a good point, or I really feel God moving in this way, I want, I want to try and do something along these lines. Write it down and, and do it in a few ways. Do something that's a, a personal goal, do a spiritual goal, maybe even do a professional goal, but, but really write it down and give yourself something to say, hey, in 2024, here's what I'm going to go for, and give yourself something to aim for, and then don't just write it down and then go home and be like, and there's that, and I'll see it in six months, Right? Let's go for it. Really, really give it your all and give yourself a sight, a target to reach for this year. And hopefully, as this message goes on, something will inspire a goal for you in this next season of life. Now, I, I do a lot of reflecting as well in the new year. I, I look back, I think, what, what did I accomplish this year? What did I not accomplish this year? What did I set out to do? What did I fall short of a little bit? But it's kind of this whole encompassing evaluation. What, what did I do and, and did I do my best going for it? And a lot of things I can check, kind of check the box, like did it, accomplished it. And there's a lot of things that I start to check and I go, well, not really, didn't, didn't quite get that one done. But, but I like to evaluate. And often you, you, when, I fin when I see something that I didn't finish, then the whys happen. All right, why did I not get that done? What, what's, my, what's my reason or what's my excuse? Because I think there's a difference between those two words. 
But what did I not get done and why did I not get it done? So often, so often the reason is I feel like, man, I just didn't have time to do that one. I just didn't have time. Time just, just got away from me. Life happened and I just didn't have enough time. You guys ever felt that way of different things in life? Not just at the start of a new year, but just as you're doing a task, you feel like you just don't have enough time. You ran out of time. Or the homework assignment is coming up and it's due, and you realize, I did have time, I just mismanaged my time. And I didn't get it done in time. Well, today we're going to talk about that, redeeming your time. And what, what, is, what does that term really mean, redeeming your time? And what are principles that we can look at in Scripture about how we manage our time, how we use our time? And we're going to look at Jesus and see how he managed his time and use him as the example for how we can manage our time. But then it raises that question, does God even really care how we spend our time? Does God care? And what does this mean, redeeming your time? So we're going to look at all of that in this coming weeks, and hopefully at the end of this, we can all look and say, we may not understand it perfectly, but we'll have a better grasp on what it means to really be God-honoring with our time, and how 2024 can be a year where we say, hey, more than anything, my time's not running away from me. I'm in control of this. I can manage and I can use my time. So would you pray with me as we dive in today? God, thank you so much, and I thank you that... Um, God, I thank you that the, for the start of this brand new year. God, I pray that this year for all of us, we, we, make, this, uh, we make this commitment to <laughs> this commitment to be stronger and more deeply connected with you than ever before. God, that, that we use your principles, we use your word to guide us each and every day. We make decisions um, choosing the choices and, and path that you've laid out for us, God, and not the ones that, that we necessarily want, but the ones that you have decided for us that are best for us, God. We give you everything and God, we follow your plan. So we thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so the term redeeming your time, this was not just a fun phrase that I in my office one day was like, oh, this is really, really cool, as seen by Chris writing a song back when I was a teenager that he played for us today. It's true, I was a teenager back then. But this, this comes from the book of Ephesians. Um, Ephesians chapters one through four, it, it really talks about grace, right? And, and, and God, Paul says it in this, he says, dearly loved children of God in Ephesians 5.1, and, and what is our response then? He says, dearly loved children of God. And what we need to understand is that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. First and foremost, let's, let's put that as our framework for what this means to manage time. God has created us. We are his kids. And now what do we do with the time he has given us? And Paul talks about this a few verses later uh, about being adopted. He says in 5, uh, 15 to 17, this is the New King James Version. He says it this way. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what, what Paul is saying here is that part of our response to the gospel is to redeem our time, to manage it carefully, to be, be aware of what we're spending our time with, and be wise, as wise as possible with the time we're given. The, the Greek word here is exagorazo, which we translate to mean redeeming, which literally means to buy up or ransom. Have, have you ever said, like, I wish I had more time, or maybe I wish I could buy more time? That, that's the idea here. I wish I could buy up more time and spend it and use it wisely. And as, as Christians or Christ followers, I think what it's saying here is we are called to buy up as much time as we can. And, and when I say buy up as much time, this is not so, oh, I wish I could buy up more time so I can, I can do this, this for me. I wish I could buy up more time so I can beat that video game. I wish I could buy up more time so I could, I could spend more time on my hobbies. It's not, a, it's not a self-centered, I wish I could buy up more time for me. 
but it's more of, I wish I could buy up more time to do what God has called me to do. Not for selfish pursuits, because as it says here, it says the, the days are evil and we're running out of time to do the will of the Lord. So, so what does this mean then? How do we redeem our time? And I think over the next five weeks or so, we're going to learn about how the author of all time, how, how God himself and, and his son Jesus, how did they spend their time? How did they manage their time? How did they work in their time? And we'll see that when God came to earth in the flesh as Jesus, he had to deal with time. He was here on earth for a limited time in the flesh, and we'll see how he managed his time. And as you read the Gospels, I know for me, I can't help but realize in the few years that Jesus was here walking among us, he was busy. He was busy, and he accomplished a whole lot. Probably one of the most productive people you could ever read about was Jesus and what he accomplished in just a few short years. So we'll look at how he managed his time in his life very counterculturally at the time. And we'll see how these principles can affect our time and our life here today. And to start, I want to go to a well-known passage from Luke, Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 23. And we see how Jesus is the ultimate solution to our time management problems. <clears throat> and we've used this story before, and it's a very popular passage in Scripture, but it says this. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down to the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. <clears throat> so the disciples are now out on the lake. This storm starts to come. The waves are coming up, and they, they suddenly see that with Jesus taking a nap, things are spiraling out of control. The, the, um, the boat's taken on water every side. And you can imagine the disciples now frantically shoveling water out. And they, they take these buckets and they're, they're throwing it out only to look and see that even more water is in the boat. It's, it's, up, it's just not working. They are terrified that, that their list, their, their to-do list in this moment is empty the boat and it is getting longer and longer and longer. And I think in our lives today, we can relate to that, your to-do list. No matter how much you try to knock that thing down, it just grows and grows and grows. It seems like no matter how much you do, the task is never-ending. Luke says the boat was being swamped, leaving the disciples to realize there's only one thing to do. They cannot do this on their own. They, they just can't fix the problem. So they go, they go below deck, and they find Jesus sleeping, and they beg him to help. And verse 24 shares what happens next. Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. That's amazing, right? In, in the midst of all of their panic and all of their doing, Jesus gets up, says a few words, and suddenly everything is calm again. It wasn't what they were doing. It was what Jesus did. And what, what I, I think the, the point we get from this passage is really simple. Jesus offers you peace before you do anything. Jesus offers you peace before you do anything. In the midst of what they were doing, they weren't finding peace. When they turned to him, he brought peace to the entire situation. And that's, that's a radical thought because even, even in our culture today, what, what do we learn? We, our culture today throws a works-based productivity at us. If you do exercises X, Y, or Z, then you will find peace. There are exercises on if you would like to find inner peace, go do this. If you want to find more peace, then go do that. And that, that's what the world will say. But, but this story says in the minute you go to Jesus, what does he offer in an instant? He offered peace right out the gate. Scripture is covered with not a works-based productivity, but a grace-based productivity. 
It says, through Jesus, you already have peace. And we do time management exercises X, Y, and Z, not to find peace, but as a response in worship because of the peace he offers us. Again, look at the disciples in the swamped boat. They couldn't do anything to calm it. They could not command the storm. They could not get the waves lower. They couldn't empty out the boat fast enough. But when they trusted Jesus to calm the storm, when they went to him, he did it. And see, that's, that's what we get to do today. In, in the midst of, of time getting away from us, finding it, it's just too chaotic. I can't do this. It's getting away. We get to go and trust Jesus. We get to go be with him, and we get to have peace with God. And that's what it says in Romans 5.1. <clears throat> the peace of God, this, this is secure regardless of how productive you are with your time or how, how well or you, well you don't steward your time. Jesus offers peace. There's an author, Matt Perman, and he said for, for Christ followers, peace comes first, not second. The mistake we often make is to make peace of mind the result of things we do rather than the source. We need to keep our sights focused on the source and the author of peace, not the one that we go to after we're doing things on our own. He gives it to you first. And I know that, um, that for me, um, grow, growing up and, and working in ministry, and I remember I, I was a children's pastor for 13 years, time management was really hard for me. I, it's really easy for me to get, the, I'm the, the epitome of Doug from Up, squirrel, and I run off the other direction. I, I, I've got to stay focused and, and learn how to manage my time. But time management tactics will never be our most foundational source of peace. As Christ followers, our ultimate source of peace, the ultimate solution to being swamped, the, one, the ultimate solution to feeling like I'm so burdened, I need relief from this, is found in the God-man sleeping through the storm. The one who says, come to me, I will give you peace. In fact, Ephesians 2.14 says it, Jesus himself is our peace. It's not what you can do about it. It's not your actions. Jesus himself is our peace. So, so now that we, we establish our place in God's family is secure, he's the one that offers us peace in the midst of time-crunching times. We still want to be better stewards, though, right? We, we want to be able to get a grip on things. So, so what does Scripture say about our, about our time? I'm going to go over five truths today that I believe Scripture really says about our time and time management. So the first one we, I learned from Scripture, when it comes to time, our longing for timelessness is good and God-given. Our longing for timelessness is good and God-given. When we think of those things, like, I wish I just had more time. I wish I could do this for longer. That, that's good. It's good to want more time. It's good to have that longing to be, to, to, to want more time to accomplish whatever it is you're out to do. And know this, that, that it's, it's natural for people to say, I want to live a longer life. I want to do this for a longer time. That's natural. There, there are people you know, that would say, we don't just want to live forever. We want to be living and productive forever. Very seldom do you meet someone who doesn't want to be productive. We like to do things. Now, I know we don't feel like this every day. There are days where you wake up and you're like, I'm not getting out of bed. That, this is it. This, this is my life today, and I am content and happy. But for the most part, when you wake up, you, this is all comes with setting goals. You want to do something. You want to look back and say, this is what I accomplished. I know that for me, especially, when I look back on my day and I can look at all the things I've done, I just think that was a good day. It was productive today. I accomplished things today. This is a natural feeling, right? But we don't, feel, we don't feel like this every day. Some days we just feel like work stinks. I don't want to do this. I don't want to work. I just want to, I just want to do nothing today. And I think that, that a lot of that is the result that sin has made work in our efforts to be productive very difficult. Sin has a part to play in that feeling, I believe. Because um, something in our souls and in God's word shows us that work was meant to be good. 
Think of that. Work was meant and created to be good. If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. To work it and take care of it. You see, the, the word work here is adova, which means it's translated to worship in our Bibles. Work existed pre-sin. Work, work was good. Work was more than good. Work was workmanship. Work was worship. I know there, there are some Christ followers that believe this, this longing for timelessness can be rooted in pride. Like, I look at what I've done, and I've accomplished this, and this is all about me. But when you get down into it and you really study what work was, the more I'm convinced that this desire to live and be productive was designed by God himself. Ecclesiastes 3.11 makes it crystal clear that God set, he set eternity in the human heart. Think something in our DNA says we were meant for more. We were, we were meant to do things. We were meant to go create and produce. To, to be human is to work with time. In our minds, in our minds that, that's a finite time, right? But in our souls, we should be aware that this is an infinite thing because what we do translates to our eternity in heaven. And why is our time finite here on earth, though? And that leads me to, to truth number two. And, and don't, don't be depressed when you read this one. It gets better, I promise. Truth number two, I, I believe, sin has ensured that we will all die with unfinished symphonies. We'll all die with unfinished symphonies. And what, what, I, what I mean by this, so let me, let me explain. I don't want this to be sad because I, I do think this is good. When sin entered the world, death was ushered alongside it. Death entered as well. So Genesis chapter 3 talks about this. It says, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since, you were, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And we also see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, where it says, For since death came through a man, there was a, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. See, what happens here is we learn in the book of Genesis, it, humanity, we were created to live forever, but then we became mortal. Work was created to be good. God created Adam and said, this is, your, your job is to work in the garden. This was a good thing. This was life. This was worship. Work then became hard, became difficult. Time, which was created to be infinite, it became finite. In short, sin ensured, I believe, that no one will ever fully finish what we envision, this is what I am set to do in our lifetime. Now, Karl Reiner was a prominent theologian of the 20th century. He said it this way, in the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we learn that ultimately in this world, there is no finished symphony. And again, that, that can sound depressing, the thought of, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave this world with so much unfinished work, but here's what I pull from it. Our to-do list may never be completed. There will always be a gap between what we imagine we can accomplish and what we can actually get done. But what that means is, this is not a major downer, what it means is, as long as we have breath, as long as you are here, as long as you are alive, guess what that means? God's not done with you yet, and you've still got a job to do. That, that, that this means that, that God is doing stuff with us all the way until we take our last breath. This means that in our life, when God's given you a mission, your job's not done, meaning you don't get to check a box and say, God told me to accomplish this in my life, I'm accomplished, and now I'm done, I get to sit back the rest of it and be done. Imagine accomplishing that when you're like in your mid-20s. It's like, wow, I got everything God told me to do, I'm, I'm done. 
No, we, we will be working for God until the day we die. We don't check that box saying we're done. God checks that box. God one day will call us home and say, welcome home, my good and faithful servant. You did it. But he's the one that decides that, not us. We have a job to do, and that's exciting news. We may be, we may be able to check off things in our life, check off a professional goal, absolutely. A financial goal, a personal goal, the goals that, that I said, hey, as we're talking today, maybe something comes to your mind and think about it. Hopefully this next year, you can check that box. Like, man, I wanted to do this this year, and I did it. But when it comes to the symphony of our life, what God has called you to do with your life, that box is never checked until he checks it for you. And he calls us home to do it. As far as worshiping, serving, being the light for Jesus, showing your friends and family and neighbors and all of us around us the love that he has for us, that never stops. That goes all the way through until we go home. And he will call us home. And since our job is never done here, we have limited time here. We get to keep doing it forever. But praise Jesus that sin doesn't get the final say. Sin may make it hard, but it doesn't get the final say. And I have truth number three. God will finish the work that we leave unfinished. When it comes to our time, God will finish what we leave unfinished. So, so recap this. God created us to live forever, but, but sin comes in and kind of, you know, threw a wrench in the plan. Now, our, now we're mortal. Sin has broken creation, made us mortal, time-bound, and no longer infinite, at least here on earth. But where's the hope in that then? We can look and say our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in the fact that he walked out of that tomb on Easter morning, that he declared the job is not done, that he still has work to do with a redeemed body that could never be destroyed again. The resurrection was Jesus' way of saying that our longing for timelessness, our longing for immortality is not wrong because he paved the way where we do get to be eternally with him. We get to experience that eternal life. And Easter wasn't just the beginning of eternal life. Easter marked the, the inauguration of God's eternal kingdom. His plan had been set forth. And so how does this tie into to time management then and, and redeeming our time for the year? To simplify the Christian story, you could say it this way. God created us to live and work in a perfect garden. And sin messed everything up, but God promised to send a king and set everything right. And with this, with this defeat on death of Easter, Jesus proved emphatically that he is the promised king and that everything from the moment to the end of Revelation is about building and building and strengthening God's kingdom until Jesus returns to finish what he inaugurated at the resurrection to make all things new. So for us in the present, I think we can look kind of for instructions in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And then 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. God's building. Now, I love this. Did you catch that, the phrase it uses in this verse? It says, you are co-workers. In Genesis, God created a whole lot in six days. It did everything in six days. And I love that on that, on that sixth day, he did something quite remarkable. He created us, and then what did he do? He created us not just as another one of the things he created, but he created us in his image. And because he created us in his image, we serve a creative God. And what he ultimately did there is, just like a runner passing a baton to the next runner, he passed a baton of creation to us and said, now you get to fill the world. You get to build. You get to create. You get to put more of me here. It is your job now to go and create. And when we get to fill this canvas that he left us with, we get to do it with things that all point to him. 
The same thing happened on Easter morning. Jesus inaugurated his kingdom with his resurrection. He rose, and he didn't just say, hey, I told the world, I rose, all right, that's it, we're done. He passed the baton to his disciples and his apostles. He said, now go, go tell the world. This is now your job. Go do it. Do the work. Keep the work going. And the New, Test- a New Testament scholar, Nick Wright, said, God always wanted to work in his world through loyal human beings. Because, because God alone will he'll finish this work and ultimately bring heaven to earth, we can embrace this feeling today. God, God doesn't need you or me, but God wants you or me. If the things on our to-do list are on God's to-do list, he will complete them with or without us. I've, I've never known God anywhere in Scripture to give up on something. Say, well, I tried to get this person to do it, but they said no, so I guess that's just that plan is not going to happen. God finds people. He uses people. And if, if we say no, he will do what he wants to do. He will get it done. But what a privilege it, privilege it is that God wants to work with us. Each and every day through all of our tasks for our life, God may not need us to do his will, but he wants to work with us every single step. He so desperately wants to be with us. He sent his son to be with us first. He said, join me in this. I want to be with you. And ultimately, there's no such thing as an unfinished symphony if God desires for that to be a part of his eternal world. There's no such thing. It will finish. It will be accomplished. Whatever God wants finished, he'll finish. He'll do it. He's God and he is in control and he is good. And this leads to truth number four about redeeming and using our time. The gospel is our source of rest and ambition. When you're thinking of your time in schedules and lists, know this, the gospel is your source of rest and ambition. As we've seen, sometimes, sometimes we're not productive. And, and we, we have the days where we say, I just don't want to do this. But if we're honest, we often need ourselves to be productive in order to feel that sense of self-worth. And, and know this, because we did nothing to earn God's grace, there's nothing you can do to lose God's grace. Because we did nothing to earn it, there's nothing you can do to lose it. No matter how productive you are in this life, your status as an adopted child, an adopted son, adopted daughter of God, that will never change. Turn to scripture for it and read that truth. That will never change. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always love you. But ironically, it's that truth that leads us to be wildly productive on the counter side. And I think, I think this is true about that too. Why do we work for God if he doesn't need us? Because working to earn someone's favor is exhausting. Have you ever lived under that? You, you are constantly trying to impress, trying to prove your worth to someone. That is, an, that is an exhausting place to be. It is hard when you look and say, I need this person's approval, so I will do this. And then they're still not approving, so I'm going to go harder. And they still don't approve, so you go harder. That just wears you down. But working in response to unconditional favor is intoxicating. Working in response to unconditional favors intoxicating. So what is God's agenda? How can we work for his kingdom and redeem our time? And again, look at scripture for this. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And in Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The phrase good works has often been misinterpreted. We can think it only refers to charity or ministry work, but when we look at the Greek word used here, it's ergon. It's translated to mean work, task, and employment. Remember, when we looked at Genesis, what was there prior to the fall? Work. Work was there. This was created. It was good. Work was part of God's perfect plan. 
And Jesus reaffirmed the goodness of what many would deem secular work by spending probably 80% of his life working in a secular job as a carpenter. He spent most of his life as a carpenter. As long as your work is not contrary to God's word, this is good work. I recently uh, reposted on social media something that Pastor Craig Rochelle posted. He said, working in full-time ministry, uh, you don't have to be a full-time minister to be in full-time ministry. And he went on point after point talking about how no matter what job you're in, you can love people. You can show them who Jesus is. Your place of employment is a great mission field for ministry. It's like the, the minute you walk out these doors, you might as well, instead of reading the sign that says South Foyer, it might as well say you are entering the mission field. Because that's where you're going. That's what you're doing. And that is good work out there. Know that your work is good work as long as you're honoring God with what you do. We can go about our lives and work advancing God's kingdom. And where we can look for practical wisdom as how to redeem our time, I think that leads to this last one for the day. Truth number five about looking at scripture for your time, we can know how God would manage his time. We can know how God would manage his time. In, in the book of John, it says, the word became flesh. So when Jesus became flesh, you know what that means he did? He experienced the same day-to-day -day challenges that we experience. He experienced life in a 24-hour-a-day life. He experienced this. He had a business to run as a carpenter. He had a mom and a dad to care for. He got hungry. He had to sleep. And oh yeah, he faced the, the, the same day when, when we say, I just don't have enough time. You can only imagine just thinking he's living in the same time that we are. He was here with us with all the constraints we had in humanity. And as a human being, Jesus was forced to steward his time on earth, much like we have to steward our time today. We see this illustrated in the Gospels. John 9, 4 says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And John 17, 4 says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, we could easily look at this and say, well, Jesus didn't have a whole lot of problems that we have today, right? I mean, Jesus didn't have a smartphone. He didn't have email. He didn't have distractions that we have now. So surely it was much easier for Jesus to, to manage his time because he just didn't have the internet, right? So he could manage it. It's, it's easier for him. But we see it time and time again. Jesus was consistently and constantly interrupted as he was working. And not, not always bad things, but he was constantly had people coming to him. He had constantly had to manage his time to make sure he was doing what his father sent him out to do. He had to make choices about his priorities. There's so many times in scripture where you see a crowd around Jesus and he's healing and he's healing. And then what does Jesus finally do? Say, I'm done now. Now I have to go sleep. And my mind always wonders, what about the guy that was next in line? Right? <laughs> what about them? But, but Jesus has a perfect plan. And he had to manage his time because he knew when he started his mission, he knew what the end date was. He knew when he was going to be arrested. He knew what was coming, and he had to make sure in those few years he was managing his time well. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. In the person of Jesus, the word became flesh, ensuring that he could empathize with us. He could empathize with all of our weaknesses, including our efforts to redeem our time. Th throughout this series, we're going we're gonna to go through many principles that show how Jesus redeemed his time, and we're going to start relating those to applying for us. How can we redeem our time? How can we make sure that we don't know our end date, but we can make sure up until that box is checked, up until the day God calls us home, we are living intentionally with every minute he's given us?
doing what he has called us to do. Today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you first. Uh, I'll leave you with the first and I believe most important step to redeeming our time. If you want to start redeeming your time, you really want to get a grasp on how do I do the teaching every day, start with the word. Start with scripture. Read it every day. Read it as much as you can. To redeem our time in the model of our redeemer, we've got to first know how the author of time, his purposes for the world and what he's called us to do with the time he's given us. We've got to know what he says about it and start in scripture. I started a, a Bible plan. I, I've done this. This is my third year doing it now, and I'd love for anyone to join me on it. I started reading the Bible, the whole Bible in one year, and there's, there's multiple plans on the Bible app, and um, I, I put a link on um, social media. I, I, if you're my friend on the Bible app already, I shot a mass invite out there, but I'm going through reading the Bible in a year, and the plan I'm using is a chronological plan, so it doesn't just go from Genesis to Revelation. It'll jump around a little bit because it does the whole Bible in, in from earliest to latest. You know, it's timeline. Right? I'm fumbling over my words. You know what I mean. But I would love for everybody here to join me if you can. And I know that this is day seven, but seven, it's easy to get caught up. You can do it. I'd love for everyone to join me on there and start in the word. If we're not putting our foundation in Jesus and foundation in his word, we're putting on something that's going to crumble. But when we put it on him, it will never crumble. The word of God is living and active. It is timeless. It will never, ever fade. Let's start in the word. Let's stick with him. And let's make this year a year where we say, you know what? The time I have is going to be dedicated to God first and foremost, everything else second. Amen? I'd like to invite the worship team up and for everyone to stand with us as we get ready to close today. Jesus frequently uh, broke away from the crowds. So many times you see him in a crowd, and then he would, he would step away for multiple reasons. But one of the biggest reasons he would step away was he had to go spend time with his father. For, for us, make sure that we're not letting time get a hold of us so much that we don't we, that we don't forget to take that time to step away. And that can look like a bunch of different ways. It can look like reading your scripture daily. It can look like medicating, meditating on what you read. It can look like praying throughout your day. Do these things. Do them and say, God, I'm giving you everything right now. I'm going to give you my time first and let you dictate what I spend my time on. And watch how it changes things doesn't have to be fancy. When I, say, when I say read your Bible every day, I'm not saying you're now for the next three and a half hours going to do nothing but read your Bible. If you have time to do that, that's great. I know not all of us have that kind of time. What I'm saying is carve out time. Carve out some. Dig into Scripture. See what God has to say about it, how we should spend it. And don't just take my word for it. Hear it from him. Take it from the source and see how he can help you redeem your time. God, I thank you for today. And God, I ask that, that this year is a year where we all say, you know, I'm going to give you more time than maybe I ever have in my life. I'm going to let you be the author and dictator of what I spend my time on. I'm going to make sure that it's focused on you first and not just me. God, and I pray for people here that maybe there's people here today that say, I already feel overwhelmed. We're, we're one week in, and man, it's just there's so much on my plate. I feel like I don't have enough time. God, I pray that you give us time. You help us manage time. God, you... You work through our time so that we accomplish what you've called us to do first and foremost. God, I thank you that you love us so much. You sent Jesus as an example on how to manage our time and that we learn from him each and every day. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, 